2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You've probably heard that scripture before. Probably read that and familiar with it. The key phrase that I want to look at is that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And some, some believers, I'm talking about all Christians right here, but some believers live with only the benefits of what God has done for them. Other believers live with the benefit, both of the benefits of what God's done for us and what He's doing in us. You could say in one sense it's all what He's done for us. But there is a, they're not the exact same things. The Lord has done much for us. But He is desiring to do much in us. And I've, I've, I believe that that really is the, the purpose of our salvation. There's a difference. The first one, and all are Christians in, in my scenario here, there's a difference because in the first group, it's partial. In other words, it's, a, it's partial. It's part of God's plan for their lives. They're saved. They're, in, they're safe and they're secure. They're justified in the name of Jesus and, and born again. They're going to heaven when they die. The second one who benefits not only from what the Lord has done for us, but what He has done and in doing in us, that to me speaks of a fullness. That speaks to, to me of of a fullness of what God intends to do in the lives of His people. And this is why we're here. I know I say it all the time, if it was just to get us saved and justified and roped in the righteousness of Christ and our sins washed away, now we're part of God's family. When we die, we go to heaven. If that's all there was, it would be wonderful and it would be enough. But there wouldn't be this ongoing... Well, we wouldn't have this Word of God that tells us there's so much more. We wouldn't have the Holy Ghost in us that is telling us there's more. There's more of Christ that I can have. There's more of Christ's likeness that I can have. There's more fellowship I can have with the Lord. There's a greater intimacy with Jesus Christ than I can have. Everybody, every every believer greatly benefits from what Christ has done for us. Okay, there's no doubt. I'm not belittling that. I'm not skipping over that. You know, the virgin birth, his sinless life, God becoming flesh, him dying on the cross for our sins, his death, burial, resurrection, uh, to make atonement for the sins of the world and to reconcile us to himself. Every saved man benefits beyond description from what the Lord's already done for us. Okay? Um, we're, we're recipients of his grace. We're beneficiaries of His grace and mercy every day. We have received forgiveness. We receive His kindness. We have received the gift of eternal life. We receive healings in our bodies and in our minds and protection from the Lord continually. Alright, these are the things the Lord does for us. But there's also something He wants to do for us that I would say is in us. That is beyond those things. And I think some believers, well, I know some believers more than other believers benefit from all those things I mentioned, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness, the the gift of eternal life, and all those things, the healing, the protection, but they also are blessed by or benefit from a fullness of what God is wanting to do in them. 
to make us more like Jesus Christ. It's not some mysterious thing we don't know about. The Word of God tells us what He's wanting to do in us. But I would say, just looking at my own life, just looking at myself in a, in a typical 24-hour day, I say, that's not like Jesus. If I'm worrying. Jesus never worried one time. So is there something more the Lord can do in me? He's done a lot for me. I need Him to do a lot more for me. But as far as healings and financial blessings and all these types of things, but y'all, we're needing the Lord to do in us. And He's desiring to do in us. And, and there's a fullness to it. There's a fullness that, that, that He's wanting to bring us to that we're not there yet. We're not there yet. You may be further than me in some of these area, areas. But there's, God is wanting to do a work in our heart. In our heart of hearts, the Bible speaks of the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. I remember preaching on that uh, a while back. He is, and that's what I'm talking about, what He's wanting to do in us. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The treasure is the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the gift of eternal life. It's, it's, it's the Lord in us. He is wanting to work in our hearts and to change our affections and desires. It was just a few weeks back I preached and I actually preached a similar thing at the Parkview Chapel a few Wednesdays ago. But we talked about I delight Jesus' testimony from the Psalms, you know, a, pre -mess a messianic psalm. I delight to do the, thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. We talked about it. What if we really delighted to do God's will? Not just that we do it, we know there's benefit in it, we know it's pleasing to God, we know it's honoring to God, but what if I said the greatest delight in all of my life? In my heart of hearts, you can do anything you want. And if that anything I wanted was to do God's will, the Lord can bring us there. It's a change in our heart. It's a working in us. It's not just that when I'm dying, I'm going to heaven. And I do love the Lord. It's a deep working of the Lord. It's an ongoing work of the Lord in my heart to where, to where my affections are changed. You understand what I mean? Our affections and desires. There's things that we like to do now that may not be pleasing to God, but we like to do them. We might abstain from them. Praise God that we do. We abstain from things that are sinful or that normally or before we got saved, we would have run to. Thank the Lord we abstain from them. But isn't it far better when the Lord touches our hearts and we have a disdain for those things? We actually hate what He hates and love what He loves. And I used to be bored to death. I'm just giving an example at a, at a prayer meeting. To, to sit through an hour-long prayer meeting was like torture, even though I was saved. Uh, but what if God changed my heart and I didn't realize that an hour had passed because I've been with my Savior? And there's nothing I want to leave and go do more than that. I don't want to go home and watch a show more than that. I don't want to go and rest. You know, understand what I'm saying? That my greatest delight, well, this is what I'm talking about, an inner work of the Lord in our hearts. Do y'all believe that that is possible? Amen. Do you believe that it is God's desire in our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. If that's Christ's testimony and it's Christ in me and Christ is being formed in me, 
He doesn't have any problem doing the will of the Father. Not only obediently doing it, but delighting to do it. He didn't on this earth. And it's that's who lives in you and lives in me. And I need to let Him live in and through me. And I need to... He knows what's wrong with me and where I come short in those things. But God, I really don't... I know this is a Christian thing to do. I know it's a biblical thing to do. It's Your will for my life. I'm doing it, but I'm struggling with any joy in doing it. There's other things, if I was honest, I would rather be doing. So what do we do? We go to God. Our answer is always we go to the Lord. I need a change of heart. I don't want to repress that sermon for, for, from a few weeks back, but this is what I'm talking about when I say the Lord doing in us. Not just for us. It's all for us, but specifically in us. He wants to work in our spirits. He wants to, to grow that spirit man. He wants us to be in our, work in our minds and our minds be renewed. So I don't think the way I used to think. Little with us, little by little, and that's normally how it is. You know, the washing of the water, the word, exposing yourself to it, uh, our minds being renewed and cleansed, and being a Christ-like mind. That has to do with the Holy Spirit as well, but specifically in our minds, uh, the work in the Lord. He's wanting to do that. He's wanting to work in our nature to to produce a Christ-likeness. He's wanting to work in our faith to give us a stronger faith. He's wanting to make us more mature in the Lord, a spiritual stature, so to speak, um, and, and a strength and a, and a power, a deeper knowledge of the Lord. I'll just read this. Till we, this is Ephesians 4.13, if you're taking notes. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. That's everybody, believers. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Perfect here means complete or finished, all right, or mature, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is not preaching the gospel to a saved, a lost man, telling him which thank God for the gospel for a lost man. This is preaching Christ to the saved man that there is a fullness till we all come unto the knowledge of the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm not there yet. But I can see how He has worked in my life since I've been saved. I can see much how He's worked in your lives since you've been saved. But that also tells us there's, there's, there's more. And there's more growth. I'm not, I'm not yet arrived to where I say, okay God, I've tapped out 100%. In, the, in my Christ likeness, we know that we're not, and and, uh, and this is what we're talking about—the Lord working in us, Amen. And our testimony, our testimony for the Lord, that God would work in us so much that people know we know the Lord. I think we have to open our mouths. There are times we have to open our mouths and share the gospel, but even the times when we're not doing that that people would know where others around us say in the workplace or in our family if they don't know the Lord or in school, they find it difficult to sin when they're around us. Not because we're uh, arrogant and, and what the world would perceive as holier than thou, but because Christ really is in us. And He comes out of everything we do. The way we love, the way we act, the way we react, the way we talk, the way we 
control our temper, the way we uh, uh, they come to us with the heart word and we turn with, to a soft answer, the way we respond. And we didn't say anything about their sin. They might be a big fornicator. They might be a big drunkard. They might be a big whatever. And, and uh, we would be too if it wasn't for Jesus. But my point is, we don't always have to be pointing out the sin. If Christ is in us and coming out of us and oozing out of us in every pore, so to speak, that they find it difficult to sin around us and we never mentioned anything about them. It was the Holy Ghost convicting them. That's what I'm talking about. A greater fullness of the Lord in our life. The Lord has some benefit only from what God basically has done for them. The blood of Jesus. Thank God for all these things. They really are saved. But God's wanting to work in us. These deeper things of the Lord. Uh, Paul talked about the Lord working mightily. Amen? Mightily in Him. I'll just read this from Colossians 1.29. Wherefore I also labor, striving according to His working. And you know how we always say it's not just one or the other. It's not just if God wants me to be holy, I'm going to sit back on the couch and watch TV. He can zap me and make me holy if He wants to. That's, that's out of balance. It's not biblical. Also, if I said... God, you stay over there. You've told me what to do. I'll make myself holy. I don't need any working of the Lord in my life. You expect me to do it fully. That's not biblical either. This is such a good example. Wherefore, Paul says, I also labor, striving. How does he strive and work and labor? According to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I'm cooperating with God. I'm yielding to God. I'm not trying to do everything myself, but what He does prompt me by His Spirit to do, I do that. If I fail, I ask Him to forgive me and let's do it again, Lord. Let's do a redo on that. I, I, it's a yielding to God, but I'm striving according to His power which works where? Paul says mightily, works in me mightily. It's Christ in us, the, the hope of glory. He is wanting to do something deep in us. And you know what He's wanting to do? He's wanting to make us like Jesus. We know that. It's simple. We, we know that. But He's wanting to make us vessels of honor. In a large house, there are many vessels. So I pictured me, and, and others might have a different interpretation of that, that passage in 2 Timothy 2. In a large house, a great house, there are many vessels. Some to honor and some to dishonor. And to me, the, the house would be Let's say the family of God or the house of the Lord. And even within that house, there are vessels that are going to be vessels of honor where others are not. They're still in the house. I would say they're still in Christ. You might find a total different teaching on that, but they're still in Christ. But, but if a man will purge himself, he says of these, you flee youthful lust and so forth. If a man will purge himself from those lustful things and simple things, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. You see that that's something deeper. That's more than just, I gave my life to Jesus. When I die, I'm going to heaven. We're here today because there's something deeper God has done and He's wanting to do and we know it. That's why we're at church today. If it was just to be saved, you don't have to come back to church. You're already saved. 
And so God's wanting to make vessels of honor, not just people that are redeemed, justified, forgiven, uh, heaven bound saints, but lights that show forth what? Show forth the light of Christ to show forth Christ basically in this world before all men. His treasures, amen. His treasure is in earthen vessels. And that scripture we open with that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the word excellency there, and, and I, I looked it up and it's this long definition, but it all pretty much means the same thing. We have a, a treasure in an earthen vessel. To me, that's this physical frail bodies, okay? There's nothing special about the body. But the treasure is, amen? That the excellency of the power, excellency there means beyond, to throw beyond, out of measure, abundance, supereminence, preeminently. It's not a word that's compared, it's a word that, that is beyond all other words when it comes to excellency. The power is saying it far outpaces and surpasses any other thing you can think about. That's, that's what the, the thought is behind excellency, the excellency, the power. Other things are down here and other powers are down here. But the excellency, the power of God is you don't even measure it with these. You don't even try to compare it to these. It's beyond. It throws out of measure is one of the definitions. Don't even try. Don't say, well, you know, man's power is this much and God's power is this much. It's, it's out of measure. Okay? That's what the, the thought is here. Why do you think that the Lord tells us in His Word that it's an earthen vessel? An earthen vessel is weak. That's the point. It's weak and it's fragile. If you picture somebody made a, a bowl or a big dish or a pot or a vase or something out of out of clay, right? A potter working it and bakes it in the oven. It's still very fragile. If you drop it from that high, it's going to crack. It's not, it's not substantial. It works for what it works for. But he says we have this treasure, this throw beyond power, this immeasurable excellency of the power of God in this weak, fragile vessel. And I believe it's because it's what's inside that is valuable. It is to come out is to show forth in weak, fragile men and women and young people, sinful, you've been redeemed, people know your past, they knew Randy B.C. before Christ. And to see the difference in our lives for Christ to show forth His glory, what He can do for a man and in a man or a person. It's so, to me, that the vessel is not the attraction. The vessel is not what's valuable in that verse or in this picture. It's not the vessel that everybody comes and looks at. It's not our clothes, okay? It's the hidden man of the heart, which in the sight of God is of great price. It is Christ in us. What's valuable is what's inside. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is He working? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's working in our hearts and lives. And that's what's in us needs to come out. To me, again, it's a, que it's a question of fullness. He's working in everybody's life. We know that. But some people yield to Him more. 
you know, I think about Joshua. We're doing our study on Moses. And when, when Moses was called up on the mountain, and it's just him and God up there, and all the people are down on the bottom doing who knows what. One time building a calf and getting into all kinds of horrible sin. Joshua was, he wasn't allowed to come up on the mountain, so to speak, but you would always find him right there. Like he'd be at the foot of the mountain, kind of looking up, part way up. When Moses was in the tabernacle, Joshua might have been at the tabernacle door right outside. Jesus had 12 disciples, all well, other than Judas, all saved, wonderful servants of God, chosen by God. Three of those, we know, pressed in further. It does not mean necessarily that the Lord loved them more. I believe Peter, James, and John, we know they, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. They saw Him transfigured. They went into Jairus' house when his daughter had died. They were the ones in there with Jesus when He raised her. Um, you know, the, they, they were always the ones a little closer. And we even read in the Gospel of John at the Last Supper that it was John who was laying his head on this Jesus' shoulder. Okay? He, it wasn't that, I love you, John, more. You're a teacher's pet. I think any of them could have been that, personally. I think it was, they were all his people and believers, as I said, other than Judas. But some of their own desire was greater, and they pressed in more. God is working in every believer's life, but there are people that desire God's working in their life more. And can I tell you what? They're going to have more of God's working in their life. He is not going to do it contrary to our will. And I don't think He'll even do it to the extent He desires with an absence of our will, just like a neutrality. I think there needs to be a longing in our hearts and God will meet us there. And He'll not only meet us there, He'll surpass it. Like He'll meet our longing and He'll, he'll surpass our longing. This is even better than I thought, Lord. This peace, I worry all the time and You gave me peace. I pressed in. This peace is not only as good as I thought it would be, this peace is super abundant, beyond measure. This peace is way better. This intimacy with you. I, I, I had a hard time praying, and, and I prayed, Lord, make my prayer times more life and intimate and real to me. And I prayed that, and God did it and surpassed it. He, he's, it's just wonderful, y'all, that we would... But I, there is an important part on, on our part. We don't do it all, but there has to be that predisposition to we're bent towards that. And we're longing for that. And we're going to God for that. He's going to work more in that life, I promise you. That person is going to be more intimate with the Lord than another believer that God loves just as much as just as saved right next to them. And so... We need God to stir that up within us. I want to just quote this. But it, when it pleased God, Paul said, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. That's kind of a run-on sentence. That I might preach Him among the heathen. He, he talks about... I, I'll kind of combine these two phrases. It pleased God to reveal His Son in me. I took out the other parts just for the point of this, this thought. I'm not trying to change the Scriptures. When it pleased God to reveal His Son in, in me. Not just to me. 
He revealed his son to, to Paul on the Damascus road, right? He was revealed, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. The, the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed to the man. And he came to know him. He got saved at that moment. A few days later, he's blind, right? And he's, he's in uh, Damascus and a Christian brother prays for him. He receives his sight and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But then there is a revealing to him. It pleased the Father to reveal his son uh, in me. To reveal his son in me. And so that to me is this working that works in him mightily. There's a revelation of Jesus Christ inwardly that I say every believer has to have to a measure. But can you know the Lord more? A revelation knowledge of the Lord. Can you know him more than you do? Do you believe that's it? Or that you've tapped out, maxed out on that already? Or do you believe that there's more? There's more. We know that. It, and, and, and y'all, it pleased God to do that. I pray, I combine that myself. It's just a personal thing. And I say, Lord, every single day when I'm praying, I say, Lord, it pleased you to reveal yourself uh, in the Apostle Paul. I said, I know it pleases you, Lord, to reveal your son in all of your children. Reveal yourself in me more than you have. That's a personal prayer of mine. So I take that little scripture and kind of the Lord's made it a prayer for me. But I desire for him to do that in me. God's whole glorious plan of redemption is not only to spare men from hell eventually and eternally and to bring men to heaven. Thank God it includes that. Amen? Because he's in heaven and he wants us to be with him. We're not going to hell. So his, his whole glorious plan of redemption in his mind and in his purpose and thoughts is far greater than that. It's far greater than that. It has to do with the glory of His Son in these earthen vessels. His salvation of saving sinful men is not just I've got a family or I've got an army of people that I'm going to rescue off this planet one day. He is absolutely doing that and going to do that. His purpose in each of those people is, and you could say even corporately as a church, alive on the earth today, is, is to have an instrument or a body through which His Son can be seen on the earth. So I need to die more to myself and allow Christ to grow in me more and more. And that's ongoing. It's continuing. His plan of redeeming me was yes, to take me to heaven, forgive me of my sins, fit me for heaven, and spare me from hell. But His plan is to manifest His Son in my life, in my heart, in your life and in your heart, that it would glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll read this from 2 Timothy 1.9. Who saved us, okay, that's past, he's already done, he's done that, Paul says, and called us with the holy calling, not according, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose. So there was, He saved us and called us according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. His purpose and His thought and salvation is to glorify Jesus Christ. You know, there's Bible, and I don't understand it all. I don't claim to be. Uh, there are people that have understood it, believers more than me. Maybe one day I'll be there. 
But there's this picture in the Scriptures of one day Christ being all in all. You know it says that? That, that he, He's going to be all in all. He's going to fill all in all. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And that kind of thing. Everything, everything in that new creation, everything, once, once after the great white throne judgment, the last rebellion's put down, and everything, all that's going to be left is going to be the Lord, His heavenly kingdom and creation, His holy angels, and the old New Testament saints that He has redeemed. And Christ will be all in all. The focus of it all, the focal point of it all, and the life of it all is going to be Christ. The whole thing is going to be a picture of Christ. The whole new creation is going to be a picture of Christ, His love, His holiness, His kindness, His goodness. I know there's going to be literal streets of gold. I believe all that. I'm just saying, so He's working that and His plan of salvation is not just to spare us like, like a Coast Guard rescuer dropping down a life raft to pluck somebody out of the ocean. Thank God He plucked us out of the ocean of sin. Thank God. Or none of this other stuff would ever take place. But in His plan of redemption is to manifest His Son. Reveal His Son and then manifest His Son. That means to make Him apparent. Make Him clear to form Him. Christ would be formed in you. Uh, Paul was concerned. He was really concerned about the Galatian church when they, they heeded the doctrine of the Judaizers. And he says, you've fallen from grace if you're, if you're going back under the law. You know, uh, if you're looking to the law for your righteousness and so forth. He says that I'm prevailing and travailing in prayer for you until Christ be formed in you. So it's not just salvation. It's a forming of Christ in us. Amen. And I would say to a fuller and fuller extent. There's not one of us, there's not one saint that's ever lived, ever, most godly person we could ever read about. There's not one that in this life said, I attained it. I've already attained that full stature of Christ in this life. But there are some that are moving on, right? I would say this manifestation of the Lord to a fuller and fuller extent. To where it's more and more and more. And I know we quote it all the time for First John. The Scripture said when we see Him, we'll be like Him. At the rapture, when that final change takes place, that's where it's, whatever's lacking, whatever's not been done, is going to be finished. But while I'm here on this earth, I want Him to be glorified through my life. I want Him to manifest His Son in and to me and through me for His glory. And He wants that. That's what He saved me for. I want to, I want to use this one uh, illustration as an example. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Numbers chapter 32. I'm going to just do my best to sort of summarize it for time's sake. We're talking about partial, partially allowing the Lord to work in us and to fulfill His plan and purpose in our lives, or fully. That's, that's what our sermon is about today. What He's doing in us, not just for us. And there's this account. Let's read this in Numbers 32, 1-6. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazir, 
on the, in the land of Gilead that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation saying, and they, they, they list the, the land that they were looking at. Verse 4, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war and shall you sit here? I mean, you know this story, y'all. What's happened here is that the children of Israel have not entered the promised land yet. They're right at the brink. They can see it. They're at the, the Jordan River. The promised land that God promised lies on the other side of the Jordan River. And so they're talking about the inheritance. But two and a half tribes, it's Reuben, Gad, and actually we read in, in Numbers, half tribe of Manasseh. These two and a half tribes had a lot of cattle. And they said, I know the promised land's over there. That looks wonderful. But uh, this is, we got tons of cattle. This land's just perfect for cattle. Can we have our inheritance here? Now, it does not say anywhere in the Bible. You can read it. I've read a lot of the accounts of this in Numbers and Deuteronomy. It does not say that this was a sin on their part. It does not say that this was a sin. But to me, and, and even for Moses, Moses is like, really? In, in verse 6, you're going to stay here and all your brothers are going to go fight and possess the land? And they made... Uh, you get the idea that it, God allowed it and Moses allowed it, but it wasn't God's perfect plan. It maybe wasn't His perfect thought. If, if the promised land, which He had promised them all those years, was on the other side of the Jordan, and they got real close to it, but they were going to be content. That's all real nice over there, but we kind of like this right here. doesn't say it was a sin. Moses even pronounced a blessing for them. There was a stipulation that they had to go, all the men... We're going to leave their wives and children and cattle on this side of the Jordan. They were to, the men were going to cross with their weapons in their hands, with their brothers, and fight. This was fulfilled in Joshua's day. Cross into the promised land, help them fight, possess the land. When they got the brothers, other tribes settled, then these two and a half tribes were going to go back and settle on the other side of Jordan. It doesn't say it was a sin, but the Jordan River, when, and I've been studying, again, there's people a lot... Uh, deep, with deeper revelations than I. But they say the Jordan rep River represents Christ and His finished work. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. It represents Christ, the Jordan River, and all that He has accomplished on the cross and in His life and death, and all that He has, through that, made available to men. So Jordan River... Pictures that it pictures when a person would, when the, the Israelites were going to cross the Jordan River, even the way they crossed was a miracle. The God parted the waters, right? And they crossed. And what were they crossing into? What God had promised them. He told them what it was like, and they were going to possess it. And He said, "This is your inheritance, and to your descendants forever. This is it. You got to cross the Jordan to get there." And so it it, it was signifying leaving something behind what was ever on the other side of the Jordan River, which was Egypt and the wilderness, the sin and sla the slavery of sin in Egypt and, the, and the, the self 
and the flesh in the wilderness, we're leaving that behind. We're crossing over into a good land that God promised. And to get there, we have to cross this Jordan River. God made a way because he parted the sea, the river. And they crossed it. So just in that, you can take any illustrations too far, so I don't want to do that. But just in that, if that is the case, then these two and a half tribes went in, they saw the land, it was a good land, it was exactly like God said. They, they were acquainted with it, they were familiar with it, but they left that, they crossed back over the Jordan, and what they possessed was not actually in originally, let's put it that way, what God intended for the promised land. And what they possessed was not through their passing over Jordan. What they possessed was without passing over Jordan. So think about it. For our purposes here today, and I'm going to close with this thought. To me, one speaks of partial. Moses did pronounce a blessing on these two and a half tribes. They did do what they were supposed to do. They did go over and fight with their brothers. They were honorable. They did all those things. But they crossed back over the Jordan. They left what God had said is the promised land and your inheritance. They left it and they took another suitable land. And again, God didn't curse them for it or anything like that. So let's say that they're all, I know they're Old Testament. Let's say that would be a representative of, of even the church. And there are people that are going to be content with something partial or less than God's full thought of what he has for them to inherit. There are going to be people. I pray we're not any of those people. I pray that even a word like this would stir me up and stir you up to on. That we would never be those. We, we cross the Jordan River through the blood of Jesus. And then in Christ, once we've gotten there, there's this whole huge big inheritance. We're just maybe on the little edge of it. We're like a little kid in the Gulf of Mexico and we're in six inches of water dabbling our toes in the edge there. There's a big old sea out there and it's all the Lord. And it's all for me because I crossed the Jordan River. I came through the blood of Jesus and it's all for me here. And I don't want to be, I'm not pointing my finger condemning those 12, two and a half tribes. God didn't condemn them. They were blessed, but they didn't receive the inheritance God had for them. And the fullness of it, which came specifically on the other side of the Jordan River. And so um, there's a fullness, y'all. We're going to close. There's a fullness, not a partial. God has in His mind a fullness of your life in Jesus. And, and we might be, you know, people say, oh, the average human uses about, what, 10% of their brain? Or I've heard a little statistics like that. I don't know how they figure that. But, uh, wow, what if somebody actually used 100% of their brain? You know, what could they do? Uh, it's the same for, for in, in the Lord in that sense that there's, there's so much more in Christ. And here's Stephen, for example, a layman who's preaching and he filled it up right there at the end of his life when he was martyred. He just filled it up. He just laid it all out there. And he preached to those Jews that were hard, you know, hard-hearted and stiff-necked and and they started to stone him and he, and he just felt, he looks up, he sees the heavens open in the Son of God. And because he did that, it had such an effect on, on the Saul of Tarsus' life, 
I believe that's a big part of him coming to know the Lord. They laid their coats down at Saul's feet when they were stoning him. My, my point is it just filling it up. He got to see the heavens open, right? And, and I don't want to live in, in the partial. It seems like this has been a theme of ours for quite a while. But I want to close with, with one scripture and one illustration. 2 Thessalonians 1.2 I mean 1.10 2 Thessalonians 1.10 He, speaking of the Lord, shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe. So there's coming a day where He's going to be glorified in His saints and admired in all them that believe. And that's what He's working towards. Again, He's not just taking a carload or busload to heaven. We're still on this earth for a reason. Yes, to win the lost and, and to preach the gospel. And that's a huge part as well. But in my life and in your life, He's wanting to reveal Christ in me to where I'm not just telling people about the Lord when they're with me or with you. They really discern they're in the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying I'm God, but we do have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That needs to be more. It's what's in the vessel that's valuable, not the vessel. It's the treasure of the Lord in us. I'm closing with this thought. Um, I've shared it before. There was a young boy. This was years ago. A young boy that was playing on the docks. He's from uh, Stonington, Connecticut. And he's on the coast there. And he's playing on the docks and the wharfs there. He's kind of goofing around on the beach and the docks and everything. And he's kind of going. All of a sudden, he comes up to this man, this grown man, and he, he looks at his face, and he, he was just couldn't believe it. He, would, he, he was just staring. He'd never seen such light and such radiance. He didn't know who the man was. Never seen him before. He just stared at his face and had never seen such light and life and radiance in any face. So he actually went running to tell somebody. He went and found his pastor who was near. And his pastor says, I'm coming. I want to see. And so the pastor comes. And the little boy's trailing him. And they get to the man. The pastor kicks up, strikes up a conversation. And they're talking. The little boy, is kind of they forgot about him. The two men are talking. The little boy's over there. Well, later this man uh, grew up. The young boy's name was uh, Henry Clay Trumbull. He became a famous pastor himself and an evangelist. And he, he, he wrote a book called What a Boy Saw in the Face of Adoniram Judson. He was looking at the face of this missionary. And he had never seen a life, anything like that. Just in his face. I don't know that he's extra handsome or anything like that. It was the Lord. This man had spent 40 years in Burma. He had given his life to the Lord. He was the first missionary to Burma. He poured out his life. He was back on a little furlough after about 25 years before he went back for another 15. And the boy didn't even talk to him. He couldn't get over the radiance of the Lord. What is that, y'all? That is, that is we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. But I want that treasure to be seen. And as long as there's so much of me, not just sinful things, but just even carnal things in my life, I'm, I'm hindering him from his fullness of, of being seen in my life.
Wouldn't it be amazing if some little boy looked at your face and it changed their life and they just saw Jesus in your countenance glowing? This isn't a fairy tale. This man became a preacher of the gospel, a famous preacher in his own right, having seen that. And I just wanted to close with that, 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 with that thought. Our altars are open. If y'all would stand, it's Christ in us. Amen. The hope of glory. There is more. It's not a partial. There's a fullness to what God is desiring to do in our lives. And I need to line up with that. I need to find out what it is. I need to get his heart on that and his mind on that. And whatever he needs to do to, to do that in my life, I need to yield to him to do it. It's wonderful. It's exciting. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen in your wisdom to place this treasure of the Holy Ghost, of Christ in us, in these earthen vessels. They're weak. They're fragile. They're not built for eternity. But what's in us is a treasure that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And I thank you, Lord, that it pleased you to reveal your son in the Apostle Paul. And it pleases you, Lord, to reveal your son in all of your children. And God, we're asking, we want to line up with your will, with your purpose, with your heart, not only to bring us to heaven, but Christ would be manifest in us to a fuller and fuller extent that you would reveal Jesus in us your love and your compassion and your holiness and your very character and nature more and more in us, God. That you would be as glorified in our lives as you possibly can be on this earth, God. It's going to be joyful for us. It's going to be joy beyond words for us. And it's going to bring you such glory. That's what we want, God. We yield to you this morning. We avail ourselves to you this morning. We bow before you this morning. We call upon you this morning. And we ask you to move in our lives. Don't just let this be a good sermon that we forget about tomorrow. Would you work it in our lives, God? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.